Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today I'm speaking to Dylan Olivia Hunziker. Dylan is the head of ventures at Advanced Blockchain HE, a publicly listed investor and incubator in the blockchain and crypto space. Prior to this, she was an investor at Struck Capital Crypto and has also worked at Iconic Holdings and Eigen Capital. We talk about her journey in crypto, her time in China, investing in crypto, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. We've been trying to set this up for a while, so it's great to finally have you on. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm sorry it took so long. It's just been crazy and um, the market's been booming, so there's just been a lot to do. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm keen to start with your background and your journey to crypto. Yes. So it's been a very long journey. It's, I feel like I'm 85 years old, to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have been in crypto technically since I you know, graduated college. I went to Columbia undergrad, uh, went to Columbia College. I studied um, comparative literature and human rights. So I was really um, interested in kind of working for social good. I did an internship with UN. Um, I thought that I would actually be a lawyer, probably a human rights lawyer, kind of like a Mal Clooney. Um, and I was prepped to do that. I mean, I'd taken, you know, the standardized test to do that, the LSAT, et cetera. Um, and then I had a very good friend who, um, a close friend actually, who works in crypto still, who was an early Bitcoin investor um, and an early Ethereum investor as well. Um, and so he turned me on to crypto and told me that I needed to buy um, Bitcoin ASAP. And I just became enamored with everything he was saying uh, because I had, you know, I, 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 my mother was a computer scientist and so, and my brother um, studied that in school. And so um, I felt like I understood um, the value prop for, for crypto pretty immediately because that in my family had been, um, that kind of technology had been um, really emphasized like both through their work experience and then through the, what they had kind of wanted us to study. Um, and even though I, you know, I didn't major in it, I did know how to code and, um, so I could read the white paper um, and understand it, like the lines of C. Um, but anyway, so I started going down a rabbit hole, started reading everything I could, trying to actually go to meetups and meet people in New York. At this time, 2016, 2017, it was really um, not cool. Like I would tell my friends that I wanted to do that for a living and people didn't understand what I was saying. Um, and so I figured I should just start like a small meetup to try and meet other people because crypto is a very peer-to-peer -peer business. So um, started doing very small meetups and then through that met a lot of other people that were really, really interested. And through that ended up actually meeting once a week on Saturdays uh, to uh, read new white papers that have been published, um, think about crypto and talk about it both philosophically and like academically because some people in the group are academics um, and through that group um, actually started publishing um, research papers that got published by CUNY so City University of New York and then um, another one that got published by Ledger which is Carnegie Mellon's blockchain journal out of their uh, computer science department um, and then people started reading those papers um, and so when they started reading those, they were, you know, kind of interested in chatting about um, having us work with them more formally. And that's how um, I kind of started an advisory, but very organically at first. Um, and so as did uh, my close friend. So 
Um, that ended up coinciding perfectly with the ICO boom um, because it was actually at that time, a lot of people needed help with their white papers or their code, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or even just marketing and like knowing um, who to talk to or which meetups to go to um, since everything was still relatively insular, even though there was like this huge um, uptick in people that were interested um, and in the market, of course, as well. But I knew I didn't want to do that forever. It, that wasn't a long-term goal to have an advisory. Um, it was more like a very medium-term goal to get to either a project that I thought um, I would really, really enjoy being an early person at or to do something else. And I'd always been interested in BC, um, but I just wasn't, I, I didn't want to do trad BC, right? So I, I kind of was more interested in doing some sort of like formalized crypto investment. But again, at the time, you know, there were firms that were raising money, but um, there were accelerators that were coming out, you know, every few weeks, but it wasn't like a career path, right? It's not like I could have called a Columbia alum and just been like, oh, hey, like, you know, that crypto VC firm you've been at for 10 years, right? Because the space is just so early. So um, I actually decided to move to China, which sounds crazy, but I, I've been to China many times um, through my undergrad. Um, and I really came to feel that China and in East Asia in particular were going to be really important for crypto. Um, this was mostly a gut hunch, but everyone was saying that a lot of the volumes were coming from East Asia anyways. Um, I knew nobody who lived in Beijing, but I applied for Tsinghua University to get my MBA. Um, and then I got a full scholarship. So I figured, okay, this will be a good opportunity. Um, this was around the time the Schwarzman had been created also um, a few years prior. So I thought, okay, like people are more and more people in the West are gonna understand that Tsinghua is this amazing school. And I really felt like in my life, I'd, I wouldn't just want a, a really good degree from the West. I will, would want a really good degree from the East because there's just so many more people, you know, China's the most populous country on earth. So I figured, okay, I'll just hedge my bets. Things have been going well, but let me actually just uproot my life, move to a city where I know exactly zero people and see what happens. Um, so as I... <laughs> So the week before I left to um, go to China, I actually ran into an old friend of mine uh, called Mao Mao Hu from, uh, he, he'd been in crypto for um, years. And so we had actually just met at like meetups and through friends. And um, I said, he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm moving to Beijing. And he said, oh, I moved there um, last month. Why don't you come work for me at Icon Capital, this crypto hedge fund I'm now a partner at. And I just said, okay, great. And like the day that I moved there, I like went, went to the office, got lunch and just started immediately. Um, and it was like just unbelievable kind of how seamless that whole situation became um, because I kind of left what had started in 2018 as like a bear market, left like this bull market advisory side to work at this crypto hedge fund that was kind of pivoting to focus on doing OTC since, um, They'd, ha they'd had a lot of different lines of businesses, but owned tons and tons of Bitcoin for various reasons. And so most of the employees were actually getting paid um, in Bitcoin. Uh, the, the firm was headquartered in Hong Kong. Uh, OTC was the main focus for what I was doing, but we had a market making desk for altcoins. And then we had an advisory business. So got to work on those sides 
as well. Um, and at the time there was this other small like upstart that was doing market making in Hong Kong um, called Alameda. So it was just like a really Alameda research, as you know. Um, yeah. And it was just a really interesting time to kind of be doing like that kind of work in Asia, mostly because it was it was a little bit scary because so many people uh, fled, right? Like a lot of people I knew that had been working working crypto like left and said this is a scam. I'm, you know, we're not coming back. I just know that, and the government wasn't very friendly uh, about crypto at the time. I mean, even within Beijing, there were laws for like um, different city districts that you couldn't even speak about crypto or disseminate information about it. Um, wow. So. You know, and technically it wasn't legal to sell Bitcoin at that time. So um, just thought a lot about the future and thought, you know what, I, I should probably go back, go home back to New York because um, I finished most of my courses. I love, I, you know, I love the people I've met. I love my professors. I love what I learned. I love the Chinese language. I love the food. I love the culture. Um, you know, it's just that the government is... Uh, making this a little hard um but it was it was like the best experience I could have had because I realized that it doesn't matter how hard the government tries to intimidate people like people will be selling bitcoin in Beijing and there will be lots of people that will be buying it right right and so that was the biggest like if you wanted a signal to like hodl that to me was like I I just remember people would like come to our office and they would talk about how they would, and we could sell, we could sell a Bitcoin at, with a very high fee because people were so desperate basically to just not hold their RMB. And when I was a student there, the RMB was actually fluctuating like, like enough such that like my first month, I remember if I had converted my RM, my cash to RMB like one week prior to the time that I did to like get my, to get my money um, into my bank, into my Chinese bank account, um, that I would have had like 17 to 25% more worth of it or something like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, right. I just, yeah. Yeah. It was actually so volatile that at certain, for certain weeks, Bitcoin was more stable, which is absurd to think about, right? Cause China's the second largest economy. Well, depending on how you view it now, probably the largest and, um, people, were willing to basically break the law to hedge because there was lots and lots of talk about how in 2020 there was going to be this depression level event. And so to me, that was, it was so hard not to just be bullish and to feel like I knew something that like other people didn't know after leaving China. Like, and it's yeah. also, yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting too, because people in the U S didn't understand yet because, and I was chatting with some friends Saturday about this that are that are crypto investors and it, it the part of the reason people from developing and china's not a developing country but a lot of people who got really wealthy holding bitcoin or holding bitcoin are people who have at least like heritage or background like in countries where the the currency is unstable right so like andreas antonopoulos is an example right mm. he bought um you know after after greece um, had to be bailed out right so you know he's he's greek right so he has firsthand experience you know i'm half nicaraguan so for me like bitcoin makes sense but if you're totally like true blue american 
I can understand why you just don't understand why you you don't want your dollars or yeah, yeah right so because everything worked out for you and so I think it but I still like I returned from Asia being like whatever was going on there you know I think that's that's the future and I'm I'm always bullish on, on East Asian and particularly like Chinese and Singaporean projects yeah that's an amazing experience and I, I can see how you know you, you think that you have this a secret insight that probably not everyone understands and like how you mentioned um, people in the U.S. probably don't get it as much as other countries who have faced like you know um, currency situations that's that's an example I use a lot as well to explain it to people in in New Zealand as well because the currency here and, and the financial system is so strong you don't really get why you need bitcoin or or another currency yeah and you know, it's, and it's interesting too, because these aren't just currencies, like you're actually upending capitalism and you're like upending a certain type of capitalism that, that to be honest, the US and a lot of Western countries have been desperate to keep. Um, and you're totally redefining paradigms for like even how things like how investment occurs or how um, value accrues like within entities and and, and who kind of gets um, exposure to most of the value, right? So that's why I love crypto because it makes a lot more things egalitarian that weren't before. And, and that's in contrast to the reputation that we have for being very insular and only wanting to chat with each other. And, you know, like I, it's very interesting, yeah, that, that we have that rep, but that this is all about making society more equal. So. Yeah, no, I hear you. And then you came back uh, to the States after, you know, an interesting experience in, in China. And then, then what happened? Yeah, so I ended up working at Iconic Holding, um, a German crypto asset management firm that Michael Novogratz and Christian Angermeyer and Alan Howard had uh, invested into um, and or have actually. Um, and was very, very excited about working with that team because they had been known uh, to be a very like marquee accelerator in the space. Um, and they still, I believe, hold the best uh, hit rate out of a European accelerator for blockchain. Um, I'd, I'd have to double check if, you know, that was about yeah. like seven months ago. But yeah, I mean, they every single investment they had preceded or preceded had raised a Series A except for one. So I think the hit rate was 96%. So they, you know, I loved their model. A lot of the things that they were about to start doing, um, I was very, very excited to work on. So one of those things was a crypto hedge fund platform. So we, we found that there were a lot of like traders or young, usually young men, to be honest, um, that were trading crypto and they wanted to start a fund because they were approached by people that knew what their returns were and mm -hmm. they just didn't have expertise. Um, in like fund admin, audit, um, like anything in terms of like anything, like some of them actually, most of them couldn't even get bank accounts. Um, and yeah. yeah, and so a lot of what we started doing was realizing that we could create um, this place for people to come and we would do all of the setup and do basically just service them. I was there for almost two years. Um, and I really, really, really 
like love the team. I, I think that they're awesome. And yeah, it was great. Um, and, you know, still, still actually chat with them quite often. So, yep. Yep. Okay. No, that I, I can definitely see how that experience would have been super helpful in your, you know, career as a investor, especially yeah. after meeting a lot of interesting people and understanding strategies. Um, so I, I think following Iconic, you got more actively involved as a, as an active investor. Um, yeah. And so how was that experience, um, you know, your first kind of time being a more active uh, VC style yeah. investor? Yeah. So after Iconic, well, during Iconic, I actually co-founded, well, I, I was a founding member and researcher. I wouldn't necessarily say co-founder, but um, I was one of the first like researchers at a lab at Stanford called the Future Digital Currency Initiative. I started to realize not just while I was at Iconic, but also through Stanford, that I now had this network that I could go and utilize to be, you know, a, a really, really active VC. Um, and so I really, really was excited about that prospect because to me, I believe in, in taking directional bets because everything's been on an uptrend. Um, and personally, I don't know that I would hedge um, at all, ever. Um, and I've never actually personally hedged and I've never mm -hmm. lost money trading my own book. So um, I've never, ever lost money on crypto, like privately. So I, I would, you know, I, I started to realize, okay, personally, I've done really well doing this. I've, um, you know, I have Stanford, I have Iconic and I have so many friends that are private VCs also in the space that have done ridiculously well. Um, seated Falcon X, seated, you know, insert like every big company you've heard of. And I just, you know, decided to start doing a lot more active VC and ended up working at Struck Capital Crypto, which was um, a hedge fund, but they did uh, early stage crypto VC. Um, and found that to be so educational because it was like the first time that I could get my hands wet in terms of um, cutting checks and, and meeting founders and doing diligence and um, learning uh, paradigms for investing from both trad VC because there's a trad venture firm, traditional venture firm called Struck Capital that's managed by the same individual named Adam Struck um, and ended up um, finding that I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. And so, you know, by, by spending so much time, like trying to find other companies and, and kind of being astonished at the pace of how things move. I mean, crypto deals, I don't know if you've heard this, but like you can get a deck on Monday and the, the round is oversubscribed by like that night. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some founders are getting so, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're getting, I will say I have friends who are founders in the space and they have stated that half of the investors in their round, like didn't even get on the phone with them and just sent them money. And I've had, you know, I've, I, I've had founders tell me that people like DM them on Twitter and were like, Hey, I can, where can I send my USDC? Like, you know, like people diligence um, seems to have gone by the wayside. It's one of the reasons these deals are moving at lightning speed. But the more I kind of 
was in the market, the more I realized that being a, an aggressive investor is the only, well, it's not the only way to get the highest upside, but it's a very, very good strategy. So I left Struck um, last month and actually started this month at um, as um, head of ventures at Advanced Blockchain AG, which is um, a, a public company headquartered in uh, Berlin. Uh, and we are very, very aggressive. Um, we've been around since, I believe the founding team has been around since uh, 2013. Um, and they're basically as OG crypto as, as you could get. Um, and, and through this um, new role, I'm actually gonna be very, very, very aggressive. Um, and I'm very excited also because we've, we, we, are, we both are, we have an incubation side. We, are, we have a research arm of about 10 people. We have a content team. We have an in-house auditing firm. Um, we have all the tools. We have 56 engineers that are full-time staff that we deploy to our port codes. Um, and everyone uh, in, in, the, in the business, well, the vast majority of people have been doing crypto for a very long time. So um, it feels very much like the perfect storm of both resources um, and strategy um, to kind of make the best possible bets that we could. Our goal is to actually keep incubating, keep iterating, and I'm hoping to cut like we cut, you know, almost, I think this year thus far, we've cut almost 20 checks actually. Um, but I'm hoping to double that or, or, or more mm. in the next 12 months. And so I'm really, really grateful. And yeah, I mean, we can talk through that if you'd like, and if you have any questions about some of the stuff that we've incubated and, um, some of the stuff that we're excited about specifically because the brands of Advanced Blockchain AG has, has been to do decentralized finance and interoperability plays. Um, but now we're actually hoping to do plays like that, but in the metaverse or in mm -hmm. NFTs and gaming. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of leading the way for us to start investing into gaming companies and we might do um, some JVs with other funds and we're investigating that, but we've been, really grateful for the investments we've been able to make like both on the token and the equity side so you know equity investments um we've mm -hmm. done z cloak which does zero knowledge proof as a service for polka dot um we've done peak um which does um which actually helps um businesses that have um well basically helps like inner iot become like web three um on the token side obviously dot but are we fractal manta network fay protocol um sentinel apricot finance element finance um obol which is a staking infrastructure provider um for decentralized staking um yeah and you know we incubated a lot of companies as well so yeah yeah, no, I love that. I I love the, I guess, resource that you're definitely able to provide portfolio companies. That's super helpful. Um, I'm keen to kind of talk a little bit more about 
specifically what areas that you're going to be looking at um, and, and what's exciting you. I know you mentioned you'll be focusing a bit more on gaming. Um, what does that really look like? I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on the current landscape that you're seeing around crypto games. Yeah, so the one thing I've always said is I didn't want to invest in a game because I don't have expertise in in which games are going to be good, right? Like, I don't mm. understand how the people that invested in Axie Infinity just, like, understood that what they were going to do was going to work. And so, to me, I'm actually much more excited about investing in, say, like, a gaming studio. Mm. Um and those are have been popping up for blockchain games. Um, and so I do think we are open to also investing in games, but I think we'd have to think through the strategy of, okay, let's assume 99% of these like won't work. Whereas when we invest in like DeFi, like the, a DeFi um, protocol or something, we, we never assume that because we do so much of our own research and we have subject matter, matter experts that like even though most startup investments fail on average, like we don't feel that way about companies we're incubating or, right? So mm. I think part of the reason I don't wanna do the games is because then we'd have to just admit that we don't necessarily know why one game is better than the other, which is a very slippery slope um, as an investor. And so I think also I really like like tools, like, you know, I'm looking at a lot of YGG competitors, but trying to figure out why like what would make, and it's not a zero sum game, right? Like I, I think YGG will be around forever, but just tr trying to understand why so many people have onboarded onto, um, you know, one platform versus the other and um, trying to look at um, what's what's driving like the growth. And, you know, I've, I've been told that the one thing I've learned in this business is, is to, well, there's, it's kind of threefold. First, that the team is really important. So it's more important than in traditional VC, I think, because um, things are a lot more nebulous and pivots are a lot more common and things are so competitive that they quickly get crowded. So then you have to have people that are creative and can think on their feet and can change. Um, and there's also so much money that gets flooded in that, um, I actually, to be honest, don't believe as much as in um, moats. Like, and so in TradVC, you'll hear people say, oh, well, like, what's the moat for this product? Um, I don't think in crypto moats matter. I think that what matters is people that can iterate quickly and uh, have a lot of momentum behind themselves, market themselves well, get a critical mass of users, and then find a way to use those users um, for either the same product or a different product down the line because um, crypto is just evolving so much more rapidly than like other businesses that to try and use like paradigms that have been successful in other in other industries or you know it is impossible so for me you know we're hoping to invest in a gaming studio we're going to announce probably in the next few weeks and a large part of that wasn't just that I went through the competitive landscape with the team and asked them to explain why they were better, or how they were different, or explain if, if, they, if they were going to work with that company, how they would do so and why, but it was because of the people that were on the team and also the way that they were like responding to those questions, right? So 
my biggest pet peeve is when people a say that there aren't competitors or that they don't know of them or if they really don't know of them um because if you do this 20 hours a day you should have as much info about who you're competing with and then second when people think that um when they get defensive and you know don't actually see the competitor as the competitor um because to me it's like nobody's special everything that talk about egalitarian right i mean the the playing field's so level really young kids can compete with people who've been in crypto for 15 years because that's just the nature of this business so then it's very hard to um it's very it's it's just hard to not feel like the person that's so aware of the market they know every intricacy of their competitor is going to do better than someone who like say may have more experience etc so i think mm-hmm. and a lot of people you know if you're diligencing a team right like a lot of them don't even have linkedins anymore they just have twitters a lot of them are anonymous now and so a lot of that has to be based on the conversation yeah i completely agreed like everything is just so different in crypto it's hard to bring i guess that traditional mindset or or how things used to be done and apply it to crypto because yeah it, it is so different it's so different i mean like we could do a whole nother episode about you know once once i start putting out more of my own stuff like we can talk through a lot of things that i think are going to change like the future of labor and, and already mm-hmm. have and and why like the type of capitalism that we've had just has not worked for the vast majority of people that have lived in it um and i'm so passionate about that i mean like on my own i've like written like a full book about crypto and capitalism and thought about publishing it and you know I, i'm thinking more seriously about maybe putting it out as like bits into a medium article because it's very long mm-hmm. and just having parts and you know just just kind of having that to be integral to to how people understand how i see crypto yeah no i love that um I think we should wrap it up there till you know I'm super keen to have probably have another long conversation like this at some point um to to keep this conversation going but I I really appreciate your time and appreciate you coming on. Thank you Nawaz. I'm so happy we we finally found time and I you're a great interviewer and I'm you know I like your podcast too. So yeah, thank you so much.